0: Hello loves, welcome to the Art of Body Language podcast, where we empower and uplift the dance community while helping them understand their injuries. I am your host, Sherelle Williams, trainer and student physical therapist that helps dancers avoid injury and improve their wellness so they can be the strong and fearless performers they were destined to be. Before I begin this episode, I would like to invite you to reach out to me at theartofbodylanguage at gmail.com with any questions about injuries that you may have or find me on Instagram at smile underscore love underscore lift. Please make sure that you subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. I want your feedback so I can continue to put out content that helps artists. I am here to serve you. Enjoy the rest of the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Art of Body Language podcast. Today we have a wonderful artist named Christopher McDaniel. Okay, that blesses us. Okay, with his soul from <laughs> the Dance Theater of Harlem. Thank you for yeah. coming on.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm excited.
0: Yes, do you usually go by Christopher? Do you I say Chris for short? Which one?
1: I don't know. Everyone asks me that, and I don't ever know the answer. I guess it just—it's kind of what seems most natural. But the funny thing is, my first name is actually Christopher Charles.
0: Oh, you have like two first names. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: Oh, Christopher
1: Charles. I'm
0: yeah. Right. We'll go with Chris. <laughs> yeah. <it's all> good. <laughs> okay. So, Chris, tell the folks about your dance journey. Start from the beginning. Cool. We're here to break it all the way down.
1: Yeah. Okay. So um, I grew up in East Harlem. So, you know, just being out and about, you hear music and you see dance, just kind of a part of the culture in El Barrio, right? Um, But I think when I was like six or seven, um, I saw my cousin praise dance in church. And so I was just kind of smitten with it right away. And so I asked her if I could dance as well. And so without a problem, she just like, It's like, sure. So we formed this like praise dance group. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we would like do different dances. We had, of course, our, you know, very liturgical, slow, spiritual dance. But then for like Black History Month services, we would do African dance. If we had outreach street service type events, we would do like hip hop and stuff, always to gospel music. So I kind of got this really eclectic um, movement style um, in church. Um, and then in about 1999, my school went on a field trip to see Dance Theatre of Harlem. Um, and so the company was doing a lecture demonstration. Um, and It was the first time I'd ever seen classical ballet, honestly. Mm. Um, and that just really, really just blew me away. So um, I then asked my assistant principal if she would set up an audition for me. So we kind of made a pact that if I brought my grades up and behaved, <laughs> um, (laughs) she would, um, set up an audition. And so she did, we set up the audition and I got a full scholarship, um, to the school. Yes, sir. So, um, but yeah, and the, the cool thing about that was that right at that point, Mr. Mitchell was, uh, launching this boys program. So I was coming in on a full scholarship with another 24 boys. So there was a big group of us that had the scholarship to come study at the school. Um, And I was meant to start in 2001, um, but we didn't start, I didn't start until 2002 when I was in uh, seventh grade. So um, yeah, and so then from there, I trained in the school. I also attended Fiorella H. LaGuardia High School, AKA the Fame School, okay? Yes. Um, (laughs) And I did a lot of um, ballet and gram Horton, all there. Um, And while I was at LaGuardia, I was still training at Dance Theater of Harlem. But then a friend of mine, uh, during one of our ballet classes, um, encouraged me to go to Ballet Academy East. um, And he said that he saw like a lot of potential in me and BAE would um, really kind of bring it all together and give me a stronger technical base to work from. Um, and so I took him up on that and I auditioned for the school and was offered a scholarship there. So then in 2007, uh, the beginning of the year, I started at Ballet Academy East. And, um, and so I trained there um, as a full-time student for about like a year and a half and then two summers after. Um, but when I graduated LaGuardia, I went back to Dance Theatre Harlem to join the Dance Theatre Harlem Ensemble. Um, And between that, I went to Boston Ballet for their summer intensive. So, um, but yeah, so then once I got back to dance theater, um, I was in the ensemble. I was 17 years old. We were about to launch the Dance for America tour. um, And that was the company going into its 40th anniversary. Um, At that time, the company, the full company was on hiatus uh, because the school and company together folded in 2004 um, while I was still in the school. So they worked it out to bring the school back, but the company didn't come back yet. So the ensemble kind of took the place of the company to kind of keep performances going and doing uh, domestic touring at the time. Um, okay, so where, where are we now? Um, so yeah, so then we did the, um, so I toured with the ensemble for two, uh, two and a half seasons. It kind of right in the middle, Mr. Mitchell retired. And Virginia came on as director. And so the company was amidst another transition. So I kind of felt a pull to kind of step out. Um, and I did, I contacted the Los Angeles Ballet in the summer of 2010, asking for a job. And so I was hired there and I danced at Los Angeles Ballet for five years um, doing amazing repertoire by Balanchine and classical rap. It was you know amazing. I danced there for five years. I also started my teaching career there, which was really cool. Then I left Los Angeles Ballet, had a little bit of uh, retirement that I, was, I thought I was gonna retire. Honestly, I really did, but
0: it, it didn't last very
1: long. <laughs> yeah, God wasn't ready to let that happen. Um, so then I went to San Antonio and I joined Ballet San Antonio and I danced there um, as a soloist for two years. And then I moved to Charleston, South Carolina, which was a whole disaster, which we will not get into. <laughs> Those who know know. Then <laughs> from there, when I was leaving the company situation I was in in Charleston, I um, saw that Dance Theater was looking for a male dancer for their Eastern European tour, and I was already kind of feeling a pull back east, like to come back home to my family, which eventually made sense. And so I did. I went. Virginia was not playing. She made me do the full cattle call, even though <laughs> dance theater has known me since I was in diapers, practically.
0: Dang! Virginia,
1: yeah, it was incredible because it just showed that there—it was a new day at DTH. It wasn't like, "Oh, we know you, so we're just going to give you a job." It was, right. No, we know you, and we're grateful that you're coming back, but we're going to do this the right way. Right. Um, and so I, I earned my spot. <laughs> So, yeah, I did the audition, and then I was in the rehearsal studio three days later or so, learning about six ballets that we were going to be rotating in and out of a couple programs for the European tour. So, And from there, I've stayed on with the company, so now I'm going into season three.
0: So. nice yeah I feel like we'll that was the you were like the first person to like really give me the most thorough story without oh. me having <laughs> to be like all right that was cute watered down ball. now let's really ta- talk about it like <laughs> thank you for giving me the full timeline with years oh, okay
1: <laughs> well I listen to a lot of podcasts and I listen to a lot of interviews of different dancers and stuff and I find that Sometimes if you don't get specific, you it, it's too confusing to try to figure out where and when. Yeah. But then also if you get too specific, people are like, oh my God, who cares? So I don't know. <laughs> I just try to give as much as I can without overgiving. So I don't know.
0: <laughs> True. No, I got you. I got you. I mean, I get the whole idea of overgiving, but I just think there is so much benefit to people telling their story and just how it's a roundabout way. Sometimes it's not, you know, the direct, exactly. oh, I got in this company and I stayed there. And I think it's important to hear because I think artists wow. and even entrepreneurs we are kind of like hard on ourselves, like, dang, I didn't do it the direct way. So that's unfortunate. Yeah. Like, I mean, I didn't, I didn't do it right, but, you know, there's that's so many ways pretty. to, to yeah. get where you need to go. I, I
1: think that especially nowadays, it needs to be um, talked about more Um, I teach a lot, and I know that a lot of students, at least when I was younger, um, I mean, I always wanted to be, like when I was a kid, I always said I wanted to be a principal dancer with dance theater. That's what I wanted, and I knew I was going to make it happen, and I was just so, you know, gung-ho. But then, you know, a couple years into my time in the ensemble, I realized that just because I wrote that down or just because I wanted that to happen doesn't mean that I have to fully see it through in that moment. Mm. So, I think there's a lot to be said about you know setting goals and achieving goals, but then leaving room for a twist and a turn, you know so um so I like to kind of express that so that especially my students or people who are in that in between phase know that yeah, you may want to get into this company right here, like this is your goal, but you may not get it right now, you may have to. Be in the second company for a little bit and go away and then come back and then boom, you're ready. So I think everything has its way of working out. So
0: you better be talking to me. I didn't ask for this. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't come here.
1: Okay. I didn't didn't sign up for this.
0: (laughs) You you better be talking to me. I love that. That was so important. Okay, so now we've gone through your journey let's talk about regimen self-care mm-hmm. you know how are you how are you doing that you learned, like you said learning six ballets that's yeah. a lot you know what are you doing
1: well to keep yourself I, up? so right now what i'm doing is a lot more than i used to do mm-hmm. um and i think that's due to various factors one in particular is one thing that we just don't like to admit, that as we get older in this art form, our body needs a little more TLC to get things going. You know? Yep. When I was 17 years old, I could roll into company class right as it was starting and drop into grand plie, perfectly turned out, and not feel a problem about it. Now, going into my 30th year on the planet, that's just not how this is working, you know? So there's that, the aging part. Um, I have suffered a few injuries throughout my career, one of which is what um, I thought was ending my career in L.A. ballet. And then just recently with Got Hurt on Tour in Brazil. So I think that now my routine has a lot of different factors. So what I like to do is I try to get myself moving way before company class starts. So that means like as I'm getting out of bed, I'm rolling my ankles, moving things, kind of squirming about, just kind of getting things moving. Um, And then, you know, as I'm running my shower, I'm doing prances and things just to really start the motions. And um, I walk my dog in the morning, so that gives me a little bit more (laughs) movement. Um, I normally take a car up to the studio because just public transit in the morning is just a lot for me to deal with. (laughs) So (laughs) most times I'll take a car. Once I get there, then I'm, you know, in my ballet clothes and stuff. So then I have some, some stretching and some rolling out and, you know, the this and the that just to kind of start class. And I try to take class every single day. Um, Even if I look at the schedule and I'm not scheduled for any really difficult ballets, like class just is how I have to start my day. Hmm. So, um, and I also like to go to the gym. Um, Obviously we're not going to the gyms right now, (laughs) but um, I, when I got back to New York, I made a pact with myself that if I was gonna be back in New York like, this is a, you know, not that the other places I dance for it as big scale, but, you know, New York is a big deal. So I need to keep myself in a certain amount of shape. So I made a choice to get a very, very pricey gym membership. And I would go and take workout classes and, like, athletic yoga. I would go into the freezing cold pool because I would just go and, so, you know, sit in mat for three minutes and kind of ice the whole body. I got into cryotherapy in San Antonio, And that was, like, life-changing. I love cryotherapy, even though I complain about the winter. (laughs) But sign me up for a really expensive three minutes in a (laughs) freezing tube of air. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, and so that's really my my regimen. At the end of every day, I well, almost every day, I have to ice. Like, I ice my knees, I ice my feet, whatever is aching. Um, I take a bath if we have a bath. Some of our hotels are just showers, um, so you don't have the option. And some hotels have a jacuzzi and some don't. So I try to do that as much as possible just to really keep myself feeling good. I will very often go and get a massage. Um, I build muscle a lot faster than I build flexibility. And so oftentimes I'll I've only been realized that I've been tense for a really long time and like just gripping or whatever. So, um, so I try to get massages as much as
0: I can. And I think that's it. Aced it. Yay. You slayed it. This mm. is, play it back. <laughs> if you need to know what to do, play this back. He went right. through everything. I have no other correction. I have nothing else to say. Well, I mean,
1: I do back. think that I need to do, like, I'm a snacker. So I like I literally was in the grocery store today just stocking up on snacks like like that was the most important thing to do. Like some people are running to grab toilet paper and I'm trying to make sure I have enough Pringles in my room because, (laughs) you know, let's just tell the truth and shame Mm -hmm. the devil. okay? Mm -hmm. but I say that to say that I get into this thing of comfort eating sometimes. Mm -hmm. And like if a rehearsal was hard on me, I'll. Like oh well, I'm gonna have pizza and chips tonight or whatever, and so I find that that happens a little too often. And I'm not saying that in a concern about like weight or anything. I'm saying that in that I'm admitting (laughs) that I would have I think a better time if I put a little more energy into the diet part of it. Because you know when you grow up in the in the projects and you're just doing what you do and you're Mm -hmm. eating whatever feels good or whatever tastes good, and you build that habit long enough without you know actually understanding that the food you put in your body is fuel for what you have to do you know so so i think that's something that i really am still working on is you know every now and again having a vegan meal or a vegetarian week you know or just not having fried foods or snacks as much just you know cleaning all of that up so but i do like a do like a good French fry, girl. Do like a French fry.
0: <laughs> but no, you know what? All of that is so true, especially when it comes to, you know, stamina, endurance. You need those whole foods, coming in. And I, I just wanted to say, who? How are we gonna do this? I'm almost. I don't want to offend anybody. Y'all love to be in class every single day. You do. do. I feel like. Even when I interview, not interview, but I've done like surveys with dancers to do my research and it's like, I can't, I can't get people away from (laughs) class. Now you're different because you also go to the gym, Mm -hmm. but I'm always like, take, take a class out right? or take two classes out. Mm -hmm. And devote that to strength training or devote that to your yoga and your stability. And I don't know. I just, I don't, well maybe you can help me understand, you know, Mm -hmm. why anything that takes dancers away from dance, I just feel like I'm a threat to people. When in fact it actually only enhances and protects you. Well,
1: that's just about education, honestly. Um, if you don't know, you don't know. And I think what happens is, like, for us, um, well, for me, first of all, it was kind of a, there was this, like, stigma against going to the gym a little bit, you know, because it was like, then you're not working hard enough in the studio, so you wouldn't need to go to the gym if you were working hard enough in the studio. You don't need to lift weights, because if you know how to lift your ballerina and you did enough partnering, then you would be fine. And there is the thought that the work itself does condition the body the best way. But if we, if it were just a part of the education of a dancer, the same way we have ballet class, point class, men's class variations. If we also were told a part of this is that you need to go to this, you know, conditioning class where you're parallel and strengthening, you know, your teardrop muscle. And like, you need to be doing, you know what I mean? Like, we need to have that a part of
0: the curriculum.
1: The curriculum, yeah. because especially nowadays, where the the work itself has morphed and everything is merging, and um, everything's becoming a little more athletic and high energy. Yes, you know, just taking your traditional vaganova classical ballet class is not. Gonna cut it. You know, choreographers are not just asking you to bore across the stage and do tombe, potabreet, glissade, chate. Now they want you to, you know, do an assemble, zone and roll to the floor and jump up and do six jumping jacks and then fuerte turn to your bad side. So it's like you gotta be wearing the whole armor of God. <laughs> so you know, and so I think that as a teacher, my thing is I'll say to And I'm not a director, so it's not really my place if I'm going to substitute a class or something like that, and I can't go in and tell them, like, oh, well, you need to skip three of your technique classes and go to the gym. You know, I wouldn't cross that boundary. But I do think in conversations with different directors, if I see something in a school that I'm, you know, guest teaching at, I'll often say, like, well, don't you think maybe they need a different style of dance so that it's not just you know, contemporary all all the time, where I think they're really good at their African and their jazz, but maybe they need to add more ballet. So it's the same thing with, like, the curriculum in general. I think we all need a little more core strength or we need to have a little more Pilates or whatever, and then teach us how to do those things correctly and regularly so that when we don't have the course, we know how it benefits our bodies. So...
0: Yes, that was it right there. And it was so funny, the response you gave was different than what I thought you were gonna say. Because oh, really? when I was coming up coming up, I went to like a very traditional ballet studio. And mm-hmm. it was like you didn't run and you didn't work out because it made you look too bulky and right. you didn't wanna look a certain way. Right, That's right, what right. I thought you were gonna say. Yeah. Well, I mean. But
1: that, the difference though is that, so for a woman, that would be the case because they want the women to look a certain way. Growing up at Dance Theater Prom, I have to say, and I hope it's not offending anyone, but people who know me know me, and they (laughs) say, okay, listen. I grew up seeing very big, strong, manly men. Mm. And so it wasn't an idea that, oh, if you get too big, you're not gonna look like a ballet dancer because at Dance Theater, they looked like supermodels and bodybuilders anyway. So mm. who could dance flawlessly to Balanchine's choreography and Tchaikovsky's music, you know? So that wasn't necessarily the case. But then I will say, I think when I joined the ensemble, I was 17, I was about like five seven and maybe like 127 pounds soaking wet. Like I was tiny. And, but I could really dance. And, you know, my technique was really strong having just come out of school and stuff. But I was always met with the, you don't look like a man. You still look like a little boy. And nobody wants to see you on stage with a ballerina because you're smaller than her and like, all of that kind of stuff. So then it became a, oh, I have to get bigger, or I'm not, like I was told, I won't say by who, but there was a baller master who told me that they wouldn't, they didn't want me on stage until I looked like a man. And so then I was told I had to do 100 push-ups a day. And uh, (laughs) yeah. So So
0: keep (laughs) going. Well,
1: yeah, and so so I said all that to say that, you know, the it's different for each person. So there were some of us who were eventually encouraged. Now you have to go to the gym. You know, there was an aesthetic. And there was also there was a lack of strength in like even partnering the smallest ballerina, I wouldn't be able to get a full overhead press at that point. And so that was a major thing for them, especially at that time in the ensemble, most of the repertoire was heavy on the partnering. Mm-hmm. So um, so it was like, you need to go to the gym. But at that point, we weren't making a salary that afforded me a chance to go to the gym, if you will.
0: True. So mm-hmm.
1: um, so yeah, so literally 100 push-ups a day. Um, and some of the older, more experienced guys would see me just kind of like working on a pirouette or a tendu or something. And they were kind of harsh at times. They would be like, instead of working on your double tours, or your pirouettes, let's get down and do these push-ups. But they would do them with me. Okay. So, so, And that's just the culture of dance theater back then. It was like the principal, like the leading dancers would see you doing something that wasn't correct. Like, Not that working on turns wasn't correct, but it was like, your turns are fine. It's the partnering and stuff that you're getting read for every day. So this is what we're going to push your attention back to. So we would break them down in, like, sets of 25 and just make it happen.
0: So. Interesting. So when you're just hearing your story, I'm also wondering, is, is this the regional thing? Like, because coming from the South, I had, like, a, you know, a, a, I'm not going to say his name, but a really good male dancer um, and friend. And he was, like, not bigger, but he was stockier, like muscle, muscle. Um, <laughs> but not not fat but more muscular he had a shape he actually had he had a little booty for a man whatever um but he was always like kind of worried and insecure because he he was told that he wasn't small enough but then i'm hearing your story you're in new york and it's like oh i'm told i'm not manly enough and so i don't know Just it's so interesting about like body types and regionally and cultures of wherever you are within dance and how, you know, it changes.
1: Yeah. I mean and it, it again it goes from, from place to place, like you said, and body to body. Because then there was a point where, like not at Dance Theater, but in another company where I was then told that I was too too thick. Which right. most people looked at that and they were like, okay, well that's just like craziness. But for guys it just, I think that like, it really goes by the person because if I, like at that point I will say I did look like a child. So when Dance Theatre of Harlem, this very renowned company is coming on stage, they're, you know, they're expecting these big, sexy, you know, strong looking black men. So then for me to come in already the shortest one and then I'm like twig thin, it just doesn't look, it doesn't match the aesthetic of the company. Yeah. So I think that, and and which is another scary place to go with it, but it is what it is. And so, you know, with your friend, I'm sure maybe that the company that he was in or the places that he wanted to go had a certain aesthetic that they were after. And I think that that's where, you know, that's where it gets tricky. Because like when I hear the conversations of today about women's bodies and this person is too busty or this person is complaining about her thighs. And for me, I'm like, well, I never thought about that. Because growing up at dance theater, you saw all different body types. Mm. And I think what, at least from my observations as a kid into my teen years, Mr. Mitchell was just about who's gonna dance the best. And now if you didn't look right or if something about your body could be fixed and it was like, not like this is just your genetics, but more like you just didn't care, then that became a problem. Right. But if you were a little on the thicker side and that was just your makeup, you were just you just better dance really well. <laughs> right. So, So I think, you know, it gets tricky with the body type stuff, but, um, but I was definitely way too, <laughs> I was way too small. And, like, you know, even the women are like, I don't want to dance with this little boy. Can he no. even carry me? Like, which is true. And you don't really want them to not give you their vote of confidence. So... <laughs>
0: Just this conversation. I'm like, this is why mental wellness is just so important yes. in, in the dance community. It, just having this conversation, I'm just brilliant. like, ah, oh.
1: Yeah, you build up so many different complexes. And, you know, a part of what um, eventually got me to build the strength to walk out of my, or to resign from my position at Los Angeles Ballet was that I started going with therapy. I was finding that there were too many situations where I was ready to just, like, scream, but I was, like, thinking like everything was okay because I felt like I had to be perfect Chris. You know, I'm the Black guy at L.A. Ballet who wants to be named a soloist, and I'm running outreach programs, and I have to just look good. And, you know, so in my head, all things were falling apart, but I was trying to put on this facade that it was all together, and I didn't realize how much of a toll it was taking on me until i got injured and didn't like i wasn't able to dance and so then you know with some you know there was a bit of resistance from management and finally i was like i'm going crazy and like i'm hardly eating i'm trying to dance every single day i'm not giving myself enough time to heal because you're asking me to come back from injury i'm wanting to come back from injury and lying to you and telling you that i'm feeling better when I'm not really feeling that much better, but I realize that I can get through it if I just like move fast enough or, you know, it's just like all of those things start to happen. And then you sit down with someone and you have a, you know, a therapy session and you realize, well, wait, there were things that happened in the early nineties that contributed to this moment now. And it's really weird. So, so I'm a huge advocate for (laughs) people going and having, mental health days or going to the therapist and all of that. And I'm very grateful that I work for a brilliant woman, Virginia, who is very serious about, at least with me, like I don't know other people's situations or how comfortable they are with management and stuff. But I know that I can have conversations and say, hey, you know, I'm not feel I'm not being good to myself. My, my speak inside my head is not very, you know, I'm not speaking to myself well. So how do I, where do I go? How do we fix this? What can I do? Or if there's a problem, you know, instead of just making up a story in my head, I'll just knock on the door and I'm like, uh, did you take me out of this role because I don't look good? Or is it my body? You know, what's happening here? Because I would rather not make up a story in my head. So so you gotta, it took a long time getting to this point, though. (laughs) And a lot of Brene Brown.
0: Teach these people. You better teach <laughs> these folk. Just all of that. I can't even recap it right now. But God, that.
1: so much though.
0: I love it. <laughs> I somebody needed to hear that. Somebody yeah. right now. People do are doing that. We make up stories in our head. We are oh, my God, I wonder was it this? Was it that? And you say, just go knock. Yeah. Go ask. Go knock on the door. Don't be afraid That's to do that. That's the only way. Be aware. Yeah.
1: But we not. We're not. We haven't been groomed or uh, raised to ask questions. In fact, Mm -hmm. for me, growing up, I was always ready to question something, not because I wanted to challenge authority necessarily, but I just always wanted to understand why this is that way. And just I just wanted things to make sense. So when you have enough of the stay in a child's place or don't ask that question, what happens in this house, stays in this house, that kind of stuff. And again, I don't even blame those people who raised me that way or told, said those things to me, whether it was church or home or whatever. Mm. That's just the the times that we were living in. Mm. Well, nowadays, it's a completely different playing field. Now we need to know that it's okay to ask the question. Um, the author, Brene Brown, she's always talking about vulnerability and um, and strength and, you know, all that kind of, wonderful, wonderful information. And so when I listen to her and she's saying that, you know, we create conspiracies in our head because we take the little bit of information that we have and then we fill in the blanks and make this story that just makes it easier to accept defeat, you know? So like, if I don't have the role, okay, well, the information I have is that I was up for the role at first and now I'm not. And I had an injury. So now I'm going to fill in the gaps with, well, now she says, I'm, she thinks I'm fat and she thinks that I can't dance anymore and no one wants to see me and my feet are bad and my skin is too dark and you just start, all your insecurities just start bubbling over. And now this lady took you out the role because she has something bigger for you the next week. But you done made up a whole story in your head. I'm telling you from my own experience. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my God, Virginia, why did you take me out of this? And it's like, Oh, well no, I, I took you out of that because we actually need you to do this other thing that is gonna be a huge honor. And I'm like, oh my God.
0: What prayer club? That was my organ. Doom doom. <laughs> hey! hey. Sometimes I'm gonna you gotta laugh. That is it. That is so it we come up with Same. these ideas and there may be another blessing around the corner. Right. Oh
1: yeah. And to that, I also say that's another space where communication comes in, Mm. where I then can say to her, like, hey, well, you know, if you wouldn't mind when these sort of changes happen, I'm not in a space where I can look at it and not go into a shame spiral. So can you communicate with me when something is going to happen like that? And again, it's not as artistic directors do not have to always explain every moves that they make. Right. But it is, it does make for a better work environment and it does make for a better company morale when you know that what's happening makes sense and it's for the betterment of the entire company. So, um, so yeah, there's some well, communication to be had there.
0: <laughs> well said, well said. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's talk about, let to get in there. What would you say for you has been your biggest obstacle to becoming a better dancer?
1: Hmm. Um, I, I think it goes back to my own self, self-talk, you know, the hmm. way that I speak to myself can get, um, can get really, um, it can be a little too critical. And I think in it being too critical, it then, Eliminates the um, the acknowledgement of the good that I have done, um, which is a really weird and creepy thing to even admit. Because when people see me or when people speak to me, they always get this like, "Oh, well, he's so confident, and he's so well spoken, and he's so proud." And you know, and I think Arthur Mitchell created and trained me as a little child to be that way to always celebrate and talk a certain way. But then when, you know, when the stage lights are down and I'm just, you know, by myself at night, I'm thinking about, well, your leg is so low and your relevance should have been higher and your feet are bad and this is, and you know, and I'm just darting all these things at myself. But then when I get into a studio to teach my students, I would never speak to them that way. Right. Ever, you know what I mean? And that's where, and so to, to answer your question, I think that I can be a big um, hindrance to myself in that I won't, so there are times where I won't even go to do a certain combination because I'm like, if I attempt that and I don't do it well, everyone's going to see me fall and I'm not going to look perfect and clean and perfect and right. And I I just can't have that. And, and so that's what I think is going to. You know, when it comes down to it, when there's like a check involved, or like you know, the, the choreographer is standing there or whatever. If I really feel it, I'm like, or oh, whatever. All bets are off. Let me just go for it and show that I'm trying. But there are a lot of times that I feel like I hold myself back because I'm like, mm, I'm not going to see me fall over again. <laughs>
0: Listen, I I I get that. I appreciate the honesty and the openness as well. Oh, I I
1: keep it real. <laughs> you know, I, I just keep it real. <laughs>
0: you know, when we, from a medical side, you know, when I was learning, we talk about injury prevention. It's like, oh, rest, ice, compression, elevation. Mm-hmm. But for me, what I truly believe is that injury prevention starts with self-love and building yourself up and affirmation. Because I 100% believe, just like what you were saying, even if I get you to your strongest point ever, if you yourself, you don't believe that you're good, you're not uplifting yourself, you don't believe in yourself, the the pro the probability of you getting injured again it could be high you know what I mean so
1: true yes you know
0: I mean? and I, so true. I just it true. just makes me excited it's yes. not excited because it's not a good thing but excited because I feel like the more I do these podcasts and the more I talk to people I feel like I'm getting closer and closer to ways to help the dance community, which makes me so excited. And it also yeah. makes me realize it's not found in any of the textbooks that they're giving me in this doctoral program.
1: Right. I well, mean, it is. Times are, change- times are changing. So, you know, the, the research and the information that's being taught has to shift as well. You know, things are just so it's it's a little it's a little more complicated than it used to be and we just have to kind of accept that because it's you know, it's it's a scary time to yeah. be just in the in the world in general, right? But then you're talking about people wanting you to put your art out there and it to be the, the best thing that they've ever seen. And I think we have to get we have to talk about this false life that people put on, on social media, you know,
0: Mm.
1: like, and I, you know, I run the social media for dance theater parliament. So for that, I'm very proud, but I also am like, it's so different from my own social media because for me, I'll put up a video where I'm falling on the floor in a rehearsal, I slipped and I fell and I'm laughing about it. Or I'm just like, Hey, look, this is what happened today. And I've been told by other teachers or other dancers, like, you shouldn't do that. Like, you need to show yourself at your best and this and that. And I'm like, well, you know, to be real, like I'm a dude who grew up in the projects in East Harlem and I'm traveling the world doing classical ballet. So regardless of anything after that, I have so much more to be proud of than to feel ashamed about, honestly. So me falling in rehearsal it's just adding to, you know, that, like, this is what really happens. We fall sometimes. So I'm going to show my students and people who follow me that I, I fall just like anybody else who's a human. You know, when I make a status about, hey, you know, today was rough. I thought about my mom and I pick up the phone to call her and she's been, you know, she's passed a year and a half ago. That kind of thing where you, I like to share real, true, vulnerable moments because when we're on stage we're the most ethereal intangible otherworldly creatures but people think that that's who we are all the time and i'm like no because when that curtain goes down and you see me at the local bar dipping a chicken nugget into some ranch don't you know don't run up on me like oh you're not (laughs) human you know (laughs) So a part of this whole thing for me is, you know, celebrating these very, very amazing opportunities that I have. Like the fact that I taught at the School of American Ballet is a huge deal to me. You know, touring to Brazil with Dance Theatre of Harlem. These are amazing moments. And so when you celebrate those online, people look at it and they're like, oh my God, he's, this, he's on this pedestal here. And it's like, no, 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 no. I, you know, ache and sneeze and and go to the bathroom just like everybody else. I just happen to do this art form that's really, really cool. But let's keep it
0: human around here, you know. Can that be on a shirt? Let's keep it human. Let's keep it human. Line. Christopher Charles McDaniel. (laughs) (laughs) Merch coming soon. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs>
1: Click the link in my bio.
0: <laughs> yeah! Oh, oh my man. God.
1: All you know, of that. We we have to. Because even with our families, you know, I find for me, moving back to New York has been the most rewarding and the most difficult time. You know, coming back to Dance Theater at home, this full circle moment. You know, I did my first ballet class in that building and now i'm dancing leading roles and teaching company class and staging ballets running you know fundraisers and doing social i'm doing all of these things that this organization has allowed me to do so when and then i'm traveling all the time hardly ever home but then so with my family sometimes there's like a disconnect and i'm like wait no no no, don't forget i'm still your little brother i'm still your cousin who likes to sit at bbqs with you for hours and have the Texas size yes. all of That I can sit, you know, one summer I literally would just sit out in the in the projects like like we did in the 90s just sit out with my sisters and just talk and listen to music and like run to the store and get a dollar's worth of candy like weird human stuff that gets so lost because this other world that I this other life that I live this dancer life is very real and very me but like at the core of it you're you are who you are so for me I try to keep it keep it balanced so that I don't forget because I think living in LA I forgot who I was I was you know I didn't have my family and I didn't have people really kind of keeping me grounded in that way. I was always around people doing really excellent stuff or people who knew this person or that person or people with a lot of um, you know money, so they could do this and that. And so I had to be this thing. And now I'm like, child, listen, I do my job. I do my jobs well. And when it's over, I would like to just go to the chicken spot and grab <laughs> a wing of three and not act like, I'm so perfect, <laughs> so. Yes. I'll go across my fifth when it's time. <laughs> but, you know.
0: Yes.
1: I just gotta, you know, just gotta be real.
0: Oh. yes, <laughs> gotta be real. Hey. hey. <laughs> oh, so, okay. I haven't done this in a while. Let's get into the injury a little bit
1: yes okay
0: so tell me about the latest thing that's been going on
1: (laughs) the latest thing that's been going on and it's still going on um so mid-october we were on tour in brazil we were in trancoso um there was this gorgeous amphitheater we were performing in and it's pretty new um so we had a full like rehearsal day in the theater we were rehearsing a ballet called Orange that I was meant to debut in on the next leg of touring, on a domestic tour. So um, we were in rehearsal for Orange, and um, there's a part, I do like all these, like this double tour and this little step or whatever, and I run off stage. Now, at that point, the stage was fully covered in Marley, but once you got to the wing, it was hardwood, like regular floor and I'm in ballet slippers. So I go running off, slip, boom, that was it. (laughs) So yeah, and I kind of fell sideways. Um, The weirder thing about it is that I fell on my right side and my right side was always the one that was like injury free my whole career. Um, And so I was like, oh wait, something's not right here because instantly like there was tightness that I had never felt in my life, like around the IT band and the hip and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. So, but again, because I fall a lot, most people were just like, ha, 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 Chris Bell again. Eh. And I was like, no, 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 like people, something's wrong, something's wrong. But fine, I get up and I finish the ballet because I'm crazy, um, <laughs> I finish the ballet. And then um, I go up and I'm on ice the rest of the night. The next day, they send the physio to our little villa area. He does acupuncture. He does some massage. Um, he stretches me out a little bit. Everything se- feels fine. We have a full day. Or we have the morning off that Friday. I, you know, had a really good day on the town. We get into warm-up class. Right about halfway, or like closer to the end of class, the men are doing double tours and ulnar turns and stuff. I start feeling like a weird um, sensation in my knee. And I'm like, this is weird. And I go to take a step and I like kind of buckled. So I was like, all right, well, let me chill for a second. Um, And the way I take class is that I do every combination at least three times, um, because I'm crazy, um, or because I'm just fully passionate and passionate about my improvement. but it was, I think I had overdone it at that point. But anyway, so we go to do reverence and all we were doing was like a little a back and I literally almost hit the floor because I couldn't put any weight on my knee. So I go and I sit down and I'm rolling out and trying to stretch my quad and stuff. And they called 20 minutes or it was, yeah, she made like a 20 minute call. So it was like, okay, well, let me go upstairs. Um, and my dressing room was up on the second floor. So anyway, long story short, I get up to go across the stage, and I literally could not walk. Like, in order for me to step forward on my right, like, I had to, like, kind of bend it and put it on, like, a demi-point, and then quickly shift my weight over. Mm. So it was, like, the biggest, most obnoxious limp. And then I'm trying to hide it from the ballet master and Virginia, who were sitting in the front row of the house. and so anyway, I climb the stairs, and I get. by the time I get up there, I'm looking at Anthony, who's uh, Anthony Santos, who you know, friend of yes. the pod. Um, and we're sharing, we have, a, um, we have a dressing room together, and I was like, I I did something to my knee, and I don't think it's okay. And he looks at me, and he's like, are you sure? And so I was like, yeah, I went to stand up, and I literally fell over, back onto the couch. And he was like, I'm going to get Virginia. So... He went down and then they, like, then all of a sudden all of these, like, these doctors were rushing in. And people, no one spoke English. Can I just say that for a second? (laughs) People are hollering at me in Portuguese. And the only thing I knew how to say was, obrigado. And I couldn't say that the pain was on the outside or it was on the inside. Like, I couldn't, child, it was scary. So then, um, so they send the doctors up and Virginia's looking and she's like, so... What's happening? And so I told her, like, I'm so sorry. I really, like, can't even walk. So because it was less than 20 minutes to curtain at this point, the first ballet had to go on without me and with no one in my spot. And then I was doing the principal in the last ballet. And so Anthony had to fill in for me there. So,
0: and I say that
1: because this is how, going back to our talk about our mental state, I had already been like, well, how do I make it work? Even though I can't walk, how am I going to do this ballet? Because like, there's no one to fill in. But then at a certain point, it all switched when I was like, no, there's no way I'm even willing to go on stage like this. Like, you know, and so I was really proud of that moment of being like, no, I can't do it at all. And if God himself asked me to, I would have to be like, Lord, listen, I oh, don't know. Unless you are gonna do a miracle up and around this little patella area, you know. So anyway, um, so that was mid-October. So then they carried me out of the theater and I was in a wheelchair the next... Um, I was on crutches the next couple days and then I was in a wheelchair at the airport all the way back to America. Um, and then I was back on crutches. went to the doctor to do an MRI. Luckily, nothing was torn, but it was a, a pretty bad bone bruise on the femur. Okay. Um, and so... Yeah, and so it was like, well, we don't really do much for that except you like you need to rest, and you know. So that was pretty much all I had, and I wasn't told to start PT yet. So I was literally just resting. Um, then we got about a month in to the injury, and I was back on tour with the company, but I wasn't performing. Um, all I was doing was I was teaching master classes and running our like outreach performance, the lecture demonstration. And then we were approaching the final week of the tour and Virginia's like, well, how are you feeling? You're walking without a brace and stuff. Are things better? And I'm like, yeah, I feel better. I'm going to start trying to take class. I've been at the gym. You know, just, I wasn't specifically given any exercises to do again because we hadn't started PT yet. So anyway, um, I just was doing whatever I could. We decided I would go on and do this ballet return, but I would take the double tours out. We do that. It's fine, except for the fact that I limp out of the theater because there was just so much pain. And then I couldn't bend and straighten on one leg without it like buckling over. So anyway, that kind of continued into December during Nutcracker season. But I didn't want to cancel all of my engagements. So most of them were being choreographed on me. So I had to like not jump. Um, so I was like, hey, I'm still recovering. Please don't make a jump. <laughs> right. And, um, and then for one of the productions, I felt a little better. So I you know, did some small jumping. Um, and then once we got back to DTH in January, I was standing in the back of a rehearsal. Um, I was understudying something. And then I went to go do a step and I was just like back in the original amount of pain. And so then I went to physical therapy the next morning because we have PT twice a week, if you can get on the sign-up <laughs> sheet. Um, but they're usually pretty good about trying to squeeze everyone in, especially because we travel without um, PT. So anyway, we, um, Allison's looking at me and she's like, well, you know, this is not good. Like, you know, I'm not sure what's happening here and we should be on the, you know, on the end of this but I was still in a lot of pain. So that's when they sent me to Harkness to do an, evo- uh, an evaluation. Um, and then they were talking about the synovial impingement and the this and the that, and just really trying to refocus how I worked. Because again, we did an MRI and they saw that nothing was torn. So the best bet was to try to fix the, mecha- the mechanics of how it's working. So um, so I did do that for a few weeks, I think three weeks, and then we were back on tour. So again, we get back on tour where we don't have eyes on, you don't have a PT with hands on and all of that kind of stuff. I still wasn't scheduled to dance yet. Um, I was gonna do the final weekend of performances. Um, and it was fine, I was progressing, I was still going to the gym, I was doing all the exercises that I had been given. Um, so this time I felt like it was going better. And then we get to my tech rehearsal, oh mm-hmm. my God. And um, and we were in a situation where the theater was very, um, the floor was very slippery and it wasn't a sprung stage. Oh. And of course, this was my debut in Orange, the ballet that I was rehearsing when I fell. So the other thing that I have to admit out loud is that I have specific types of anxiety where things will remind me of a specific moment and boom, I'm triggered. And so just knowing that this was the ballet that injured me, but this was my return to the stage, I had that already on this side. And then there was the other shame monster that's like, hey, now you're gonna be in a unitard, you better hold your stomach in. And, and then, you know, it's like full tights. And so it's like, and it's a classical piece. I'm on stage with a, one of my favorite ballerinas it was a big deal. And it was, you know, my return to the stage after I'd been off for so long. So it was a lot of pressure that I was putting on myself. And we get to the tech and I slipped just running in the potter. De and it just triggered me so much that I was like freezing and freaking out. And then like I end up just like kind of having to mark the rest of the ballet because I was in so much pain. Mm. So then we the curtain comes down and I don't speak to anyone. I go limping into the wing and I am like hysterically crying because I was just more embarrassed and there were people in the house, like watching like a school or something. Um, There was also a repetitor from the balanced interest in the audience. (laughs) So that was the (laughs) pressure too. Um, But yeah, so, so I was in the wing and I was just having a hard time with it because I'm like, you know, I thought I was ready for this and I don't understand why I'm not able to get through it. Um, And then Virginia came out and she and I had a conversation and she was super encouraging in that she was like, listen, like, if you can't do this and you think you're going to hurt yourself, then it's okay. We can't. There are other options. You don't have to force yourself to do this. You're only, you know, casted to do it because you said you were well enough. And if we need to take you out, we can. But she's like, you know, I really think that you're able to do this. I think you have to separate what's happening in your, in your head and what you're insecure about from what's actually hurting. Now, we can modify steps if this step is hurting you or this step is hurting you. But in terms of how you're approaching it in your head, don't do that to yourself. Like, don't psych yourself out. So that was a really big turning point in how I approached the next few days because the next day was going to be two performances back to back, like too many performances. So I was going to do that ballet in the first show and then do the ballet again in the second show. And then the next day, was going to be our full evening performance. So I just asked our manager to link me up with a physical therapist in town. We were in Kalamazoo, Michigan. Luckily, there was an amazing woman there who had done, um, she had done some training at Harkness. Um, so I was familiar with how Hartness works. So, so yeah, and she really reassured me that, it was a mechanical thing and gave me even more exercises to add to what I had already been doing. So, so yeah, so I feel like now here we are, I mean, we're probably a month after that happened that um, I'm still kind of, you know, healing and finding the right ways to work and still listening to my body and understanding that sometimes I don't have to do every single thing full out all the time. And I don't have to take every single class and do every combination three or four times in the center. Like, I just don't have to. Um, so I think that's really where I am now. Whoa, that was a
0: long answer. Sorry. Loved. <laughs> I don't have anything to say, really. You know, usually I, I jump in, I give some thoughts. You just... <laughs> I'm just like... <laughs> you hit, no, you hit all things perfectly i love all of your learning experiences and your realizations and this yeah. self-awareness that you've built it's so beautiful and wonderful and stop saying that it's too much stop it i <laughs> do this I know, and, I walk, you in and you can talk and that your stories can inspire and someone can hear it and be like oh my god i can relate to that so it is all good and i absolutely <laughs> love it so i wanted to say the gap between you getting physical therapy and the injury, that was because you were touring.
1: Well, we had our, we had a layoff and then we were meant to do like a week in the studio and then we were going back on tour. So, but then also just doc, the doctor just didn't, he was like, oh, well, PT's not necessary right now. You just need to rest. And then when we found out that it wasn't, anything it was that nothing was torn then it was well you're fine to dance you're not going to make anything worse just don't do any big jumping yet so i think from his perspective he's looking at just the imaging and saying okay so this is what we see um but he's not actually watching me do a class or you know seeing me seeing if my mobility is correct or if I'm, if my knee is gliding the right way and stuff like that. Like they do their, their tests and their strength tests and all that kind of stuff. But I think it really came down to me sitting with Allison and saying, hey, look, when I have to do fondue to releve, which is in every ballet, I can't do it because I can't get up from fondue. And then it's like, okay, so now we're really identifying where you're in pain. So, and it sucked, honestly, because it was such a long time. <laughs> Of like me just kind of throwing ice on it and being like, okay, shouldn't this be better if it's not torn? But then there's the whole, well, you know, it's a bone bruise, so it's going to hurt kind of thing. So, yeah.
0: I'm I'm, going to do my best, Lord, to (laughs) not rant. This is why I'm anti-MD. I said it. It's my podcast. They don't knowing nothing. Exactly. They don't not. Oh, and it upsets me. Everything about what you just said, it upsets me because you're not treating an image. You're treating a human being. Don't come and be no doctor for dancers, and, and don't and and tell somebody that. And this is also why. We need to have, and I say we, physical therapists. We need to have like that full, unrestricted, direct access because yes. if you would have immediately gone to a physical therapist, Allison, you know, is, is on the team. She could have already been addressing these things, and you could have right. probably been back sooner. But took the yeah. advice of this MD who's not who's not coming from a full picture you know what i mean
1: i agree with you in that we can't just like approach it like we're treating an image because i think that's really what the problem was also how do i how do i say this i think that for me allison has been working on me since i was a kid so she's known me for a long time so i wish that i would have gone in and sat and like did what i did before where it was just like hey Like, Allison, I need you to say exactly what's happening and blah, 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 because I don't trust anybody else right now because they don't know me as well as you do. Like, she sees our performances. She sees me in class. She works on, and we also have another amazing physical therapist, Joshua. And these guys, they actually are in the trenches with us. You know what I mean? Like, they're literally seeing us in the class. They're seeing us perform. So they can point out and say, hey, well, you know, if you had you know, done, you know, when you're taking off for this turn, your hip is twisted and that's why you're building up this wrong muscle and it's going to hurt your knee because you're not quite doing this correctly. So that sort of eyes on physical therapist being able to come into the studio and watch us, which, you know, puts the pressure on us to be like, oh, now I have to do it correctly. Well then, yeah, we have to do it correctly because it's that whole get through it and get her done kind of thing that, this is added to all the injuries I've had my whole career, which is just like, I need to get it done and show you that I can do it quickly, you know? So, yeah, so I don't necessarily feel like it's that the doctors are always the problem, but I do understand that if they're not coming up there and spending, you know, at least once a month, watch what we're doing so that you understand if someone comes in and says, hey, my, you know, Calf is like feeling super tight today, and I can't figure it out. You've seen the rep, so you're like, wait, maybe it's because in Balamook you're on four starts doing this, this, and this, and like that could be adding to that, you know? So So.
0: I get what you're saying. However, (laughs) for the dancer that may not be in a DTH, that may not have access to an Allison or a Joshua, and all they know is I'm going to this doctor. And I'm Very trusting true. them, right? And yeah, and that's right. just what they do, and they don't know. So again, it comes with education and awareness, you know, which is also, you know, my purpose for this as well. Um, yeah. But I don't know. I just feel like the medical field we have to do better. It, right. uh, it no, affects me. Sure. I say it all the time. I feel like I was catfished by the medical field. <laughs> Sometimes I do. I feel like I was catfished, which is why I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna do it my way. But I appreciate, you know, your awareness, you know, you sharing that. I hope that others, you know, hear that and they start implementing it and asking questions. And and even if the even if ooh, I'm gonna say this. Even if you go to see a doctor and they're like, all you need to do is rest, ask for a script to see a physical therapist anyway, just to be sure. Because those are really the people that understand movement. We're movement specialists. Your MD is right. not a movement specialist. Right. right.
1: That makes sense. Yeah. Or call me <laughs>
0: if, if Rona will let me graduate.
1: <laughs> okay. Rona's really out here just putting a real pause on all things living.
0: okay we on this virtual graduation right now y'all just just waiting like oh okay (laughs) like
1: Like, what is happening
0: oh gosh
1: but that's the other thing having to wait for a prescription for physical therapy is kind of really it's really freaky but then also i think so there so here's the other thing that's confusing because I think the, the language or the, um, not language, the vocabulary we use needs to shift. So when I, like for us, when we say, like okay, something's hurting, I'm going to physical therapy, we're seeing Josh or Allison for a 20-minute or 15-minute slot where they're going to do as much as they can in that moment to kind of relieve the pain and then show you maybe a couple things that can help fix it and give you the tools that are going to allow you to do it better or to fix it but it becomes a lot of we're going to teach you this real fast and you have to and then you're on your own and that's how we've operated for so many years over at DTH because that's just the way it is uh, financially or whatever but then when you go and you get a prescription from the doctor for physical therapy now I'm at I'm at the Harkness Center not downstairs in the basement at DTH I'm Actually, downtown in Harkness, across from an athletic trainer, a physical therapist who I'm just meeting, and they're not approaching this as like, oh, you know, I've known you for a long time or any of that. It's, hey, so I'm looking at you walk. I just need you to walk. Okay, well, today, all we're going to focus on is you walking heel-toe and not walking turned out. And it's like the first session is that whole thing a 30-minute session of just me walking, relearning how to walk, and then okay, let's let's teach, let's reteach you how to squat, you know that kind of thing. You can't really get all of that in in a 15-minute P.T. slot. I know for me, I am a lot better when I'm physically in the room with my teacher. Like if I'm getting a private lesson, I need them right there, and because I'm so used to hands-on. Hey, no, lift up right here. Close your ribs. Uh, use your your thigh, you know, put your weight back into your heels. You're too much on your demi point. Bring your heels down or, you know, whatever the, the correction is. I need that person there with eyes on because then if I go away and I'm by myself, I think I'm doing it correctly, but I'm going through the motions of what looks right or what I think I'm supposed to be doing. And then it's all for naught because I, the whole time my ribs were splayed, but I didn't think to fix that because that's second nature. But when someone else is seeing it for a full 30 to one hour long session, it's different. So that's another, I don't know how that can be fixed, but you know, you guys are, you guys are doing the best that you can, but we need more. Like, I think we just, I know for me, I need more time with an athletic trainer or a PT one-on-one.
0: I'm so happy that you said all of that. I will... (laughs) I am coming to you. It yes. isn't about me. <laughs> <laughs> I will say this for all that feel the way that Christopher feels, I am coming. The real thing is going to be dancers being willing to invest in themselves and their bodies. Once you realize that, right, and we appreciate it, the fact that this is the only body you have and we, and we wanna have this long-term career, that's gonna be the key to it. Cause I'm gonna let you know, I'm gonna put it out here and you, you tell Virginia to listen. <laughs> Dang it, y'all got Harkness. Dang. Well, for anybody else who has a company, I want to do just that. Come in, you get your eval. I see what works that are choreographed on you or that you've been placed in for the season. Based off of the strengths and the weaknesses that I've seen in your eval and the pieces that you're doing on tour, I have a program put together. We're going right. preventative. So before you even get injured, right? Because, like you said, oh, you went to the PT and you're doing, you're learning how to rewalk and you're learning how to squat. Yeah, but if you didn't get the injury from walking, then right. you're not addressing the problem.
1: Right, right.
0: right. <laughs> so the injury is happening from the dance, from repeatedly doing to move over and over again. So if I know you're gonna be doing this piece however many times, you know, over the weeks, plus rehearsal, and I'm giving you a program that takes those movements into account, now we're taking a preventative measure. Mm -hmm. And we're addressing it before we even get down the line. Right, 100 shows later. Or <laughs> however many. And that is what we're missing. Yeah. That is what we are missing. And I think that, honestly, the biggest issue is insurance. and Because that's why it's only 20 minutes. You know what I mean? Insurance only pays for so much. They pay for the 20 to 30 minutes. Yeah. And so, you know, it, it's also going to go into, as a dancer, saving Saving and realizing that your body is important and and be like, you know what? I'm going to invest this money. Just like I invest money in rehearsal space and dance class and creating works. I'm going to invest money in my body and hiring somebody, you know, and it may not be using insurance. It may be out of pocket. But that person is going to be by my side. They're going to come in. They're going to see my rehearsal. They're going to know me. I'm going to build that relationship. And I know for a fact that somebody's got my back. And it's going to be more than some 20 Thirty minutes, and if it's me, honey, we're doing affirmations. Okay, you're yes. getting the voice message. Hello, King. Good morning. I'm so happy <laughs> yes. that you're here. You know, at Dance Theater of Harlem. Look at all the things that you've accomplished. I don't care that you didn't hit that triple tour yesterday. <laughs> the fact that you that you are here anyway. You know what? Right. That's the type of mindset where we're coming i'm we're not weird because the medical field is it, but i am coming with and i honestly i believe that is what's missing and that's what i'm coming for okay yes coming. no and
1: i appreciate that because it's real and i have i honestly can say i have not run into too many situations where you know a physical therapist will say hey you know what we need to speak you know speak nicely about this like you know put positive thoughts into your head like we don't really approach it that way too much, because it's science. So it's like, this is this and this is this, but also going into the psych part of it is so, you know, so important. But to the point you made about, you know, investments and investing for a lot of, not all dancers, but like, I can really only speak to my own situation, yeah. in terms of the studio space and the classes and the rehearsal time and all of that that's built into our schedule it's made for us already so then it's like everything else is provided so then this other thing it's always been kind of treated like it's a luxury or it's a chore or this like um, this extra cost that you're like this extra thing that you're costing us You know what I mean? When I danced at Los Angeles Ballet, there was no PT. What we did have was there was a physical therapist who rented a space in the building. And if there was enough time available, she could squeeze you in and you would have to come in at like 7 a.m. or something. And like, so it was always like physical therapy or getting that help was always more of like, an uh, if something happened or if you were in trouble, then you went to this. Like, not like a, a regular, hey, so we have this preventative situation that we're doing regularly. Like we do our eval every beginning of the season to see, you know, where you are and what's working and what's not and what's tight and what's loose and, you know, all of that. Where's your strength at? We have that in the beginning of the year. But I do think that if we just, like you said, if you had someone regularly um, with our traveling, I think that we need somebody, I need to be able to walk down the aisle on the plane and be like, hey, can you please help me release my quad right now? Because I'm sitting back there and I'm cramped up and the person next to me is like snoring in my ear and I'm angry and tense, help me. You know, Um, I put together that fundraiser for our company, which I was really proud of. And I want to plan another one to build more funding for us to have
0: more I loved it by
1: the way. What did you say?
0: I said I loved it by the way. I don't think I really knew you or had talked to you yet.
1: No, no, not at that point.
0: But um, I was definitely there. And I loved it. And
1: you. I was so nervous the whole night that really? I yes. Oh my god. I, I was artistic. I was artistic director for that project. Like it was my baby that I like kind of I so full disclosure, I planned it. I had the thought for a while, but then at 3 a.m. one night, I was like, you know what? Let me just put this on paper let me write it out. So I typed it out, sent it out to Anna and Virginia and a few other people. And so then I was the, expecting them to say no, because I had worked for so many people who always shot my ideas down. Or I would have to like beg and plead or get somebody else who had more clout. Like I would have to find like a principal dancer who had a name and they would suggest it. And then I'd be able to like tag along with them to bring my ideas to fruition. But with this, they were like, this is an amazing idea. How can we support it? And I was like, wait, but I thought you were going to say no. (laughs) So I'm like, wait, now I have more planning to do. Um, So then once I put the whole thing together and got it up and running, it was such a success and everything worked really well. But I was like, you know, I heard, I had that, like, Arthur Mitchell on this shoulder, like, listen, I've taught you everything you know, and you better not mess up. And so I had this, like, freaking out. Literally the night before, there was a huge costume fiasco that upset the entire cast. We're talking, like, midnight, I get a message that's, like, we're pulling all costumes and, like, so there was a lot of pressure on it. So the whole day, I was just like, okay, and, you know, these are my colleagues, so I'm kind of directing them in different ways, and all of the pieces that went on stage were staged or choreographed by dancers in the company. So I staged a few choreographed one and Dylan and this person that you know it was a lot of you know group work for us, but at the end of it, it was going to come down on me and if we don't meet the goal, I knew that that you know so I was really nervous <laughs> that night. And that's why when it was all done, I like looked at everyone and I was like, thank you guys. And I the like, we, to run. <laughs> we did it, thank God. I didn't crash and burn, now everyone go upstairs and drink. <laughs> no. Oh man, so, so. yeah. I want to do another one, because I think it's important to, even if we can't bring someone on with us all the time, at least set up a better situation in each city. I mean, preferably, I would like someone we know to be with us and, you know, so, yeah.
0: I got you. I got you. (laughs) Oh, okay. Wow, we covered so much. So, oh, dang it. You know what I also wanted to say? Yeah. You kind of covered it. But I just wanted to also just Emphasize that you you dancers really need to be thinking about how you're doing things. You know, like to go back to you being like, well, it's just getting done. But no, you know, you really right. need to look at how am I landing? Is it toe and ball toe ball heel? How am I, am I prepping right. for my toes? My turn. I can't even talk. My turn. <laughs> Where is my knee yeah, placed? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Right. Um, really doing the things that chris talked about where he's getting ready and he's moving and warming up way before class starts but really just that that awareness of placement and care for how you're executing each move is going to be so important take the time you know to do that um and so i wanted to i went in it with one last question it's one of my faves what advice would present day Christopher give Christopher when you started your professional dance career?
1: Oh, that is good. Somehow I listened to your podcast and was not prepared for that question. <laughs> and I don't like to be unprepared. So why didn't I prepare this? Wow. Um, I mean, I have I, I have thought about this before, but then I'm like, no, I'm not going there because I'll cry or something. But
0: cry, listen,
1: I it's think, all good.
0: It's a safe space.
1: <laughs> I'm trying to think. I feel like what I would tell seventeen year old me would, for one thing, one thing would be to calm down, which. I probably would have cussed me out for saying that. So maybe not calm down per se. But I think I would have told myself to enjoy enjoy that time in my life a little bit more to find, um, to find the happier moments. Because that was a really hard time for me at 17, graduating high school, uh, realizing who I was as an adult, understanding the pressure that I had leaving high school having signed a professional contract but then i was going to boston where it was going to be the first time i was ever away from home for more than you know a week um and i was going to be by myself and then coming back to new york but trying to be a professional but still wanting to be a student and like still living at home and fighting with like my church family about the the things that they were trying to force on me and things like that and then my own you know my biological family there was just so much chaos So my advice to myself then would be the same advice that I'm giving myself now is to find find solitude and quiet to just listen to what's important and who I want to be and where I want to go. And then to put all of the energy into positively achieving that. I think I achieved a lot when I was younger. And, you know, I'm still having moments of achievement now, but a lot of it was built in a way of, I have to prove this to you because because I, the church told me that I was going to dance my way to hell. I have to prove that I'm going to be a good dancer or because my family didn't want me dancing as much. I have to prove that I'm going to make a really good life and a success out of this. You know what I mean? So it wasn't like I was coming from this place of I really love this and I want to say something with it. It was, you told me I couldn't do it. So now I have to prove to you and I have to be the best at it. And that goes back to all of the, you know, the psych stuff we talked about.
0: I was just gonna say that. Mm -hmm.
1: So, so yeah, so I would tell myself to silence the noise and really move from, you know, an honest space. Um, And I would tell my younger self that, and now I'm gonna tell my present day self that. Because, you know, I mean, it's easier now because I'm grown and ain't nobody gonna tell me nothing. You know what I mean? Like, unless you're going to fire me, which I hope doesn't happen, but I've never been fired before. I, you know, I, I made a joke one time. I was like, I quit jobs and I tweet about it. <laughs> but, but again, it's like, I'm in such an amazing space at dance theater where I can have that conversation with Virginia. And she can say to me, you know, I see that you're really conflicted with what you want to do or, how you're feeling because there are times where i'm like you know i don't want to dance anymore i just want to teach and i want to stage ballets and i want to choreograph and i want to consult at different schools all the things i really want to you know i do want to do those things but it's not that i don't want to dance it's just i'm frustrated with my progression of the injury or something or i'm feeling pressure because i heard someone say that when they were 30 they did this or that and my family is expecting this or like Arthur Mitchell, before he passed, said this, or my mother, before she passed, had this thought. She thought I was this, and I have to, you yeah, know, there's all this noise and this chaos. I just need it all to be silent so I can sit and say, okay, am I going to stop this dancing thing? Am I going to hang up the shoes and teach full time? Or am I going to continue dancing? And how am I going to continue dancing and not put all these ridiculous pressures on myself? Yeah. You know, so so that advice for 17 year old Chris is the same advice for 29 year old Chris.
0: Listen, I love it. I love it. So sure. such wise words. Chris, where can the people find you? Social media? We have a website. Let them know.
1: I couldn't deal with the website thing, which is a shame. So I need to hire someone who will do that for me for a Just- reasonable Price, I do believe in paying people for their work. So, um, but I don't have my website right now, but on Instagram, I am at Christopher Charles McDaniel and Twitter is Chris McDaniel zero um, eight. Although I don't tweet as much as I used to. When Twitter first became a thing, I was just so all over it. But um, now I do a lot of stuff on it. I'm, I'm real heavy on the Instagram. Um, again, I run the social media for Dance Theatre of Harlem, so we, on Instagram, we are at Dance Theater of Harlem. Theater is spelled R-E instead of E-R. And on Twitter, we are DTH Ballet. And on Facebook, we're Dance Theater of Harlem. So you will hear my voice through the posts of DTH or myself. Uh, my personal Instagram, like I said, I keep it real. I <laughs> jokes. I'm eating chicken. I... am. <laughs> taking classes. I'm teaching classes. I'm talking about real stuff. I, you know, I'm living.
0: So yes, <laughs> As you should. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Oh my God. This was so awesome and amazing. Yeah. Yes, and
1: I'm so proud of you. This is an amazing platform. And, you know, I, I always admire people who have podcasts because I listen to podcasts all the time. Um and I, I always, wa- I've always wanted to do this kind of thing where I'm in your position. So you're inspiring me to someday make that another part of my <laughs> list of things that I want to do. So,
0: do congratulations it. to see you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. I love doing this so much, and I learn so much from from you and everyone I talk to. Yeah. It's, it's awesome. Well, I want to thank you guys for tuning in to another episode of the Art of Body Language podcast. And I will see you next week. <laughs> thank you for listening to this episode of the Art of Body Language podcast. I truly appreciate you taking the time to listen to my show. If you enjoyed this episode and you believe it would benefit an artist that you know, please be sure to share it with them. As always, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Make sure to follow me on Instagram at smile underscore love underscore live. If you'd like to connect further, you can also email me at theartofbodylanguage at gmail.com. Thank you, and make sure to tune in to our next episode. Have a beautiful day.